G'day and welcome to the Head Shepherd Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Ferguson, CEO here at Next Gen Agri. I've worked in livestock research, farming and breeding for over 25 years. I've been very fortunate to see a lot of amazing places and meet a lot of wonderful people throughout that career. I'm reminded every day of just how awesome the livestock industry really is. It really is a great pleasure to bring you the stories and wisdom of the people in the industry via the Head Shepherd Podcast. This podcast is supported by our good friends at Allflex and MSD Animal Health, who are guided by the one mission of the science of healthy and productive animals. For these two companies now combined, they have one of the widest product portfolios in Australasia with a comprehensive lineup from the Cooper's range of animal health products through to the ID and monitoring solutions that, that Allflex are famous for. Their products are all backed up by their exceptional service, and we're thrilled to continue to have their support in bringing you this podcast each week. If I could ask a couple of small favours before we get underway this week, if you could rate this podcast in the app that you're listening to it in, that would be fantastic. Also, if you know someone that you think would enjoy what we do here, please share the show links with them. Finally, if you are listening to this podcast, you're probably a big fan of livestock farming. We're setting up the Next Gen Agri Hub to be the home of livestock farming conversations. Check it out at thehub.nextgenagri.com. Okay, it's time for this week's guest. Welcome back to Head Shepherd. We're uh, in a bit of a makeshift recording studio at Glenthorne Station with Tom Fraser. Tom's uh, is a well-known name in, in New Zealand, but for the Australian listeners and those across Europe, probably may not know of Tom, but uh, certainly a stalwart of a great message. So it was great to grab him today. He's been talking to our sixty odd young people that we've had here at the Next Gen Muster. Um, it's a it's a great turnout with really interesting people asking good questions. Welcome, Tom. We might start with a bit of your background, I guess, what you've been up to for the last 50-odd years. Oh, yes. So um, originally, I, <coughs> originally I was brought up on a sheep and beef farm in northern Southland, uh, down near Tiana, and then went to Lincoln and got sort of kicked out of there because I played too much rugby and cricket, <laughs> uh, perhaps other things. But um, worked for DSIR Grassland. So my background is basically in agronomy and uh, plant evaluation. And then that became AgriSearch. So about worked with AgriSearch uh, for many years and about five or six years ago finished there as what we called a farm system scientist. So uh, that's quite important to understand what that we mean by the farm system. So the most scientists are, are trained up in component science and become very, very good at it. But farmers have to farm a system which takes in all the different components and there'll be genetics, there'll be plant uh, agronomy in there, there'll be soil fertility, insects and pests and weeds, all sorts of things. So the poor farmer has to try and get an understanding of all those different components that make up their farm system. Yeah, great. So I've um, heard a little bit of your talk today, but I was talking at the other end, so I didn't hear much, but um, it'd be just good to hear what your message has been today to these young young farmers. So I guess the message was, and obviously uh, the other speakers, some of the other speakers are, are very uh, au fait and very good with the animal genetics and the strong, uh, strong message coming through there. And so one of the messages I was trying to get through to the young people was that the genetics is extremely important and it's really the icing on the cake is the genetics. It's uh, You've got to feed these animals uh, if you want to get the production out of them. So... Uh, even if you don't have the the really good genetics, you can still get okay production from an animal if you feed it feed it well at the correct times of the year. Uh, and to 
actually get go from the okay to the top, then you put the genetics on the top. And obviously, because the genetics uh, really doesn't cost a lot more uh, to put into the system, you're an absolute fool not to do that. But it's just like all those other components, is little things that you need to do to try and maximise the performance you're going to get out of that uh, the system that you're in. Yeah, good point. And even as one of those genetic speakers, I, I always tell like I think to my groups, I said the, the first dollar you spend is on is on nutrition, and the second one on net management probably, and the third one on genetics. Um, and yeah, definitely, definitely a lot of low hanging fruit on sheep farms by getting the the nutrition message or getting the nutrition skills up to scratch. And to my way of thinking, condition scoring is one of the best tools we've got on a sheep farm yet. So limited in its deployment. Is that what you find and, and why do you think that is? Yes, I think that that's disappointing is that there are so few tools and measurements that a sheep farmer uh, can put in place in a system to improve that system. If you compare that to a dairy farm system where they get their production twice a day, uh, they can make changes very, very quickly. They only perhaps have one class of stock on the farm, whereas sheep and beef farmers may have eight or ten different classes of stock all requiring different feeding levels. So there are limited opportunities for a sheep farmer to actually get information uh, on what's happening. And so they really need to take advantages of some of these occasions that that crop up. And uh, body condition scoring is one that it's been clearly shown that the bottom line, dollar bottom line advantages to understanding condition scoring, uh, putting it in place, and uh, doing something about it on the farm will pay massive dividends. And the, the other thing, it, it, and it may be one of the problems, Mark, is that you say that it doesn't seem to be taken up as much as it should be. It's free. Yeah. If, perhaps if we charge for it, more farmers may do it. But it's something that can be learnt in probably a uh, quarter of an hour or half an hour if you get alongside the right person. Uh, you don't need any any other equipment apart from your hand, uh, and it's so easy to do. And uh, the certainly the top farmers are body condition scorers. Definitely, and we saw there's a program called Lifetime New Management in Australia that many listeners will be aware of, and, and one of the key practice changes is using condition scoring at those mm. key periods. What are the key times that you'd recommend people are getting their hand on their <clears> stock? If we start uh, at weaning, so it's probably not a, there's a lot going on at weaning time and body condition score may not be all that important at that time because you may have a low body condition score, you, that has actually done two lambs extremely well. So I would be starting probably uh, six weeks after weaning and bringing the ewes through so that I can identify it's one of these things where it's not an exact science. Body condition scoring is not an exact science. One of the one of my problems I have with it is it's a very narrow range. So it's only a one to five, and one is dead, and five is almost dead as well. So we're really only working in the two, threes, and fours. So that's why people go halves. But what we're trying to identify is the light use and the heavy use, or the light condition use and the heavy condition use. So and manage those two quite separately. So those ewes that are sitting at, we'll just say body condition score three, uh, they're fine, and the majority of the ewes will be in that bracket. So if we can take out perhaps, it may be 20% of the ewes at two and a half or lower than that, uh, and start 
giving them preferential feeding so we can bring them up to three, three and a half prior to mating. And that's going to require a bit extra feed, yes. Uh, the benefits from that are going to be massive in the extra number of lambs uh, that are going to be scanned. And then the maybe 15 or 20% of the ewes that a body condition score three and a half or four. And we can manage that mob separately as well because we don't need body condition score four. So the feed that we're saving on those, the mob of body condition score four ewes, uh, we can put into the two and a half score, two and a half ewes, and actually overall not use up any more feed, but we're just allocating the feed to get our ewes trying to get as many of our ewes in that three to three and a half condition score going to the ram. And then we, we get the ram out and hopefully we get some good results. Uh, if you're doing some feed budgeting and you are starting to get shorter feed going into the winter, uh, then a body condition score uh, at that stage would be, probably be a good idea so that you can, uh, particularly with the multiple scan use, you don't want to allow them to get to lose body condition score in that early winter period. Uh, and again, if I was uh, round about that scanning time, it's a good time to body condition score as well because you then know whether multiples or not and it's early, you've got time to actually do something about those low body condition score multiple scan use. Yeah, and that's a key one. I think we calculated it at about something like a dollar fifty or 150 cents per kilo dry matter of getting a skinny twin bearing ewe up. It's the most profitable thing you can do on a sheep farm is get that skinny ewe in a better condition by the time she lands. It's absolutely scary how much money you can make out of a kilogram of pasture uh, by putting it into the right animal. Yeah, and that's yeah, and that's very much what your talk's been about. Um, understanding um, ME and I guess that that all that all grass isn't grass, or certain times of the year it's not, and all crops not crop. Uh, how much I guess how much do you advise people to sort of really understand what each animal requires in terms of their energy and and therefore what the pasture is being delivered. If we look at the ME of our pastures, we can get too carried away and we can get very complicated about EMEs, and they don't have to be. Uh, in that winter-spring period, early mid-spring period, EMEs, pasture quality is not a concern. All pasture is high quality over that period of the year. So uh, over that winter-spring period, it's all about quantity. You've just got to grow as much quantity as you can, but quality will look after, you, after itself. The quality of pastures and crops become really important uh, in that post-weaning period uh, on a, uh, in a sheep system uh, or in a uh, beef system. That summer, early autumn period, when the grass, our temperate grasses, lose their quality, even though they may still look nice and green, they'll lose their quality just because they don't like the high temperatures uh, and Legumes luckily don't lose their quality, so that's why we try and encourage as much legume as we can. So it's it's really in a way we don't have to worry about quality. We only really have to worry about quality in our pastures for about three months of the year, really. And it's over that summer, uh, late spring, summer, early autumn period. And the other thing that I think confuses farmers a wee bit is that they, when they're talking about quality, they think their whole farm has to be good quality, whereas it doesn't. It's only a component. It may be as little as 30% of their land area has to be in pastures in good quality because that's where you've got your young growing stock. And the the maintenance on the other uh, ewes or cows uh, can be at a lower quality pasture. 
Yeah, no, exactly. The I think one of the maybe misconceptions out there is that um, legume is good because it's high protein, but in reality, it's just because it's highly digestible and, and high quality. I think we calculated, well, Tomo did, sorry, back in the day, there was I think every 1% clover in a pasture was worth a gram per day of lamb growth, and that doesn't seem like much, but when you go from a 10 to a 35, that's 25 grams a day, and over 80 days, that's <clears throat> whatever that adds up to for a couple, yeah. couple of kilos. So um, it can make a big difference, that legume percentage. It, it does, it does. And, and unfortunately, of course, most of our cheap and beef pastures, uh, certainly in New Zealand, uh, will struggle to be on average 10% legume. Uh, and most of them probably would be lucky to five percent. So we really are struggling with our legumes, and and it's not a it's a very difficult management tool to try and get more legumes in your pastures. But we need to encourage it as much as we can. And it is it's just that the legumes are soft, and the bugs in the rumen can cope with them so much easier. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's just common sense, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One of the examples you gave right in there was to the to the crew was that think of yourself as a sheep when people are asking questions about. What you should, what sheep you should put where, or whatever. Watch which pastures are best for which sheep, and, and I think that's a good concept to sort of actually think about which one. If you're a sheep, what would you eat? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if because uh, the question was asked is what sort of pastures would we put them on, and so the answer would be if you put yourself in the in the hoggets position, uh, what would I like to eat? Do I want to eat the old dead steamy stuff, or would I like to eat a nice juicy legume leaf? So. Uh, put yourself in, in the position of the sheep, think, think of yourself as sheep for a while, and uh, go from there. Fantastic to see 60 young people in the industry coming out to take a day off off their <coughs> farms and probably a day off work maybe. Hopefully hopefully many of their bosses send them along for without making them take the leave. But, um, yeah, fantastic group of people here today. It's absolutely mind-boggling to see the, the number of young people here, uh, the number of females that are here, and the enthusiasm for people that are here. Uh, it's, I have noticed in the last five or six years that there are a lot more younger people uh, in the sheep and beef industry. And the thing that's really impressed me is their thirst for knowledge. And you've, I've got to be, 20 years ago, I could say anything I like to a group of farmers <laughs> and they wouldn't question me. And now you've got to be very, very careful because you'll, have someone who I think should still be at school <laughs> will actually question me, rightly so, uh, and their knowledge is, is pretty scary, which is great. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's fantastic. I think one of the other points was the uh, that there's a lot of farmers out there willing to share their knowledge and get on the phone, ask the questions, mm-hmm. don't be afraid to to pick up the phone or, or wander up to somebody at a sheep sale or at the pub or wherever and, and ask those questions. Mm-hmm. One thing I say to farmers quite often is that if in your there are some things exempt from this, but may in a lot of cases, particularly in the pasture field, uh, if a farmer is waiting for the scientist to solve their problem, they'll be dead. <laughs> but because unfortunately, uh, there's not a lot of science being done, and that's just a fact of life. But there are some unbelievably capable, exceptional farmers out there that are doing a magnificent job. And luckily, almost without exception, they want to share that knowledge. And they would love it if young people come along and ask them because their knowledge is just unbelievable. And 
most of the improvements that we're going to see in the whole farm system uh, is from farmers. It's not going to be from science. No, I couldn't agree more. And it's yeah, we've, we're very privileged to work with lots of top end farmers, and yeah, it's we definitely do a lot, as much learning as we do teaching. And, yeah. and I think even in a room like today, we've got there's a lot more knowledge in, on that side of the room than outside of the room, even because they've got that practical experience and they're mm-hmm. t- testing things and they're seeing seeing things. And we've got to keep to to encourage that in the industry. And it's a it's a healthy healthy industry when we've got young minds like that yeah. out there. And yeah, and I would encourage those young people to ask questions. There's no silly question. Uh, ask questions. Some of those, what you might think are old farmers, or some of them might even think are old, but they do want to pass their knowledge on. They really do. Yeah. Uh, and they're good at, you know, practical sense knowledge. We're sort of wandering into, I guess, a time that is different than the last few decades anyway, with as nutrient restrictions. And so farmers are sort of, I've always been asked to do more from less. Um, how are we going to, how, is there any way other than getting all these one percenters right? We need to be intensified. We need to 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 nail what we're doing. Is that the is that our best solution? I think we've just got to be. There's a lot of improvement that can be made with very little changes in our farm operations. I'd have to say one of the the better farmers that I've seen is a guy down in Southland, and he's probably in well in his 70s and the shepherd is 85 and they have amazing production and I looked at the farm and I could not see why they were getting such good production and then it dawned on me they were doing everything right at the right time so he had just got a system going where he knew when to do things at the right time and making sure it worked so it didn't have to be flash but it was just Understanding what was was about and doing it at the right time. That's a yeah, brilliant point, and um, I think that's probably true for all business. Yes, <laughs> if you the timely timely response. The so they did they had special monitoring in place, or just were just knew their system. They did <laughs> when they monitored, they did what I call honest monitoring. So as I was saying to one of those groups, you can do you can have two sets of tailing numbers: one to take to the pub, and one you use for your business. So. They were doing monitoring for their business. They did a lot of body, uh, body condition scoring, a lot of body condition scoring. I thought, you know, almost in excess, but no, it wasn't because it was working in their system. They knew what their pasture covers were. They were doing, they only did really one serious feed budget a year, and that was in the autumn to set up for the spring, which is the most important one. But they understood what was going on. They understood what was going on in their system, uh, and they were getting just amazing tailing percentages and land growth rates. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you mention there today the uh, the weaning weight is a key metric that everyone needs to know. What are the sort of key things that you recommend people know about their business? So in the sheep system, we get our scanning percent because someone else gives us the number. Well, we can get our tailing percent, or we should probably get a good accurate tailing percent. And... The next number that we really have to have is that average weaning weight. It is not a difficult task to get. We don't have to weigh all the animals, don't have to weigh all the lambs. If you've got a mob of a 1,000 lambs and you weigh 50 random lambs within that 1,000, you've got the average weaning weight. You may be able to change it by 
0.1 of a kilogram. But that you're not going to write a scientific paper about this. No. You're trying to get information for yourself. You're not getting information for the consultant that comes along. You're getting information for yourself because if you don't know where you are, you don't know how you can improve or what improvement you should be able to make. And so you're encouraging, obviously, every mob, so you're learning about what's coming off that block or that pasture, and so you're... So rather than just one number, are you encouraging people to get more than one number if they? Well, I would certainly encourage them to get more than one number if they can. But uh, certainly, if they can, what I what I like to do is if they go, if they prepare to commit, uh, in that first time, I would get them to do an average weeding weight off a, a mob that's been looked after well, and an average weeding weight off a mob that hasn't been looked after well. And once they can see that difference, yeah. uh, it's pretty hard to stop them. Yeah, I think I've quoted it before, but I'll quote it again that Jane Reeves said once to me that if it, if you measure it, it moves, and it's so true. Once you're aware of a number, yeah. you can't help but want to fix it or want to improve yeah. it. And you can live in in naivety forever and put your head in the sand and not know what your yeah. number is and, yeah. and think <clears> that there's better luck. They're a bit back this year because of the rain or whatever, but the reality is if, yeah, once you measure it, you start pushing yeah. it. Yeah. And a lot of opportunity. I think um, you mentioned Gundy Anderson today. Gundy and Lisa are obviously down there at Bogoroy. They've been on the podcast before. And um, I know one of the numbers he always sort of keeps in his head is the total amount of kilos weaned off the farm. Yeah. So obviously weaning weight plus stocking rate plus your reproduction rate. So it covers. So that, that's the biggest driver of profitability on a sheep, in a sheep system is the kilograms of lambs weaned back then. Yeah. And whether that's done through a high scanning lambing percent or whether a high uh, wind lactation growth rates. Uh, it's a combination of those things that will make you the money. And if you can wean heavy lambs, uh, you then have the options. If you wean light lambs, the options are very limited. It's a great point. I think and I often think about growth and it's, yeah, no one wants a light lamb. You don't want it. You can't sell it. It's And you've got a lot of work in front of you to, yeah. to make it into yeah. something you can sell or Kill so yeah, it's a it's a struggle straight from then. So yeah, that weaning weight sets you up for, yeah. a, for a good production yeah. season. Right, I think we'll wrap it up there. I know the butchers finished carving out some a couple of a couple of twos down there, so we better get down to the barbecue before we pull that trapped up. But um, thanks very much for your time, Tom. Thanks for coming out and, and spending some of your time and to share your yeah. your long knowledge and the long history in the industry and, and great great knowledge with these young yeah. people. No, it's been a good day, man. Again, I'm just so impressed with the number of people here. And, but also the enthusiasm of these young people. It's just been reliable. Exactly. Fantastic. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening to the Head Shepherd Podcast. If you enjoy listening in each week, please take a moment to subscribe or even give us a review. That would be fantastic. And if you do get a moment to share it with your networks, we'd also love that so that we can share these great stories with more people. Thanks again to our friends at Allflex for sponsoring this episode. Allflex are wonderful supporters of the Australian and New Zealand livestock industries. Combined now with MSD Animal Health, they offer one of New Zealand and Australia's largest livestock product portfolios, focused on animal health and management, all backed up by that exceptional service. We really do enjoy our long-term association with Allflex and thank them very much for, for again supporting us with bringing this podcast to you.